Hi there, CO Church. Uh, I speak to you from my study in Inverness and send you greetings, uh, not only from myself, but also from our church, Inverness Vineyard, uh, to your church. And what a great opportunity and privilege to be part of your series of going through uh, the Bible and understanding the bigger picture uh, of God's mission and God's calling on our lives. This particular uh, Sunday, we're going to be looking at... Uh, the turnaround if you like I, I remind you that we've already learned in this series about God's original intention his plan and his purpose in creating everything good and good and good and good and then people supremely very good so that we could be in relationship with him and with one another and with ourselves and indeed with his whole created order and that we've already learned in this series sadly that that broke it ruptured it all went awry as early as early chapters of genesis and we can't fix it ourselves god steps in to begin the fixing process he chooses a nation israel for himself so that he through them could impact all the nations of the earth but but israel reject relationship with god they cover and envy other nations and kings and armies and compare themselves with those things around them and the result of that is that they end up feeling distant from God and indeed in exile for 70 years uh, in Babylon and then gradually the nation begins to be rebuilt but between the Old Testament, because that now takes us towards the New Testament, there is a four to five hundred year gap, a silence where God isn't speaking, but the people are desperate to see him move again in mighty and miraculous ways. And that takes us to a time of further oppression for the Jewish people, for Israel, where now they're under the rule and the reign of Rome, a harsh regime indeed. And they're looking, they're pleading, they're praying for their Messiah to come and to, to save them, to lead them out from under oppression. And come he does. The Messiah arrives. Jesus Christ is born, lives a perfect spotless life, shows us what the kingdom of heaven is like, come and coming, and how we could live God's way on God's earth. He dies a bloody, horrible death pinned on a cross, but in doing so pays the price for our sin and separation from God, defeats the power of the enemy and of death, and is raised from the dead. Spends 40 years doing some more teaching with his disciples, and then goes off to, back to be with his dad in heaven like a skyrocket, uh, and sends the Holy Spirit to continue his work until he comes again. And that births the era of the church the ongoing era the unfolding story of which we are all a part and it takes us into the book of acts which we're going to look at uh, right now acts chapter 9 uh, and the unfolding story of the early decades of the of the life of the church and the mission of the church as this glorious gospel of jesus begins to spread out to all the nations and the story we're about to read is, is, a, is a cracking story uh, about exactly that time. It's the story of Saul's encounter with Jesus. We're looking, are we not, at encounter with Christ and how that changes us towards his mission in us and through us. So follow me, if you would, from Acts chapter 9 and we'll read the first 19 verses. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats 
against the Lord's disciples, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now, get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus... There was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias? Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptised, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Wonderful wonderful story of encounter and of call to the mission of Christ in Saul becomes Paul of course uh, but also through Saul becomes Paul of course to the early church this one's interesting isn't it uh, I, I was really cool it's very expressive language isn't it still breathing out murderous threats against the lord's disciples i i kind of want to compare and contrast that because the early church fathers from the earliest of times uh, actually practice the desert fathers practice what they call breath prayers you see they understood that the breath of god the was the ruach in the old testament the pneuma in the new testament is the spirit of god the life carrier the life giver and so they talked about breath prayers where they breathed in the spirit of god and breathed out anything they didn't need to keep in their bodies breathe him in and breathe out and they talked about breath prayers but here we hear about saul who's breathing out murderous threats against the lord's disciples i wonder what it would be like for you and me to more readily more frequently practice breath prayers how would it be if we practice this breath prayer where we breathe in saying, Jesus, I love you. And we breathe out saying, Jesus, I obey you. Jesus, I love you. 
Jesus, I obey you. No murderous threats here. But the love of Christ for us and us for Christ and our obedience of him. Verse 2. Well, uh, here is Saul on the way to Damascus, which was in Syria, a Roman region, about 150 miles from Jerusalem, four or five or six days uh, journey at that time. And off he pops to Damascus. What's he doing? He's looking for women and men who are followers of the way. It's a lovely expression. That gets used again and again, actually, particularly in the book of Acts. Um, and it's actually what Christians first called themselves. They didn't call themselves Christians. That wasn't until Acts 11 at Antioch. And even then the word Christian was used by the, their enemies. It probably meant uh, a, a little Christ, as in a, a, a weak version of the real thing. It was, it was an insult. The word Christian was an insult. We've taken it up as the main thing we call ourselves now. But in those days, uh, followers of the way, after Jesus' own expression in John 14 verse 6 where he said I am the way and I love that the Saul is looking for followers of the way people who are on in process they're on a journey then that it's process not product it's it's journey not arrival it's sense of change and adaptation and transformation and we read about that at the beginning of this remarkable encounter uh, for Saul that's what he's looking for <laughs> but it's about to happen to him and then verse 3 we have this remarkable encounter if you cross refer uh, the, this story with the way that Paul himself tells it as opposed to the, the writer of the book of Acts which of course is is Dr Luke um, you, if you cross-refer this, uh, you'll find a little bit later on in Acts 6, uh, 26 where Paul describes what happened. He says that this was about noon, it was about, so it was in the heat of the day, and suddenly there's this amazing bright shining light that is so strong that he can't even look into the light, and he has this remarkable encounter with the risen Christ. He's never met, as far as we know, he never met Christ during Christ's earthly lifetime. He's not one of the original 12 disciples, but here he has his own personal encounter with the risen Christ. The word that would be used in the Greek, the original Greek language that the New Testament is written in, is the word epiphaneia, which gives us the English word epiphany. It's a light bulb moment. Literally, it means that which was previously hidden is now revealed, made plain to see. And what, what does he what's he do? He falls down on his face. In fact, if you read his, his reference to this in Acts 26, they all fall down flat on their face. I wonder if it can be truly said of you and of me that we have had our own Damascus Road encounter. It need not necessarily be as dramatic as this, although it can be, and it, I have had such encounters probably three or four times as dramatically as this over the course of my 45 years of following Jesus as close as I possibly can. But it's not, it's not the high drama of the moment, it's the reality of the moment that matters. Have we had our own personal epiphany, light bulb moment? bright light that which was hid made clear light that drives out darkness 
If we have, can I suggest that the result of that is we fall flat on our face because we don't deserve it. We may not fully understand it. But I want to encourage you, if that's not been your experience, for your sake and for God's sake, set aside some time to journey this road. Set aside some time. What do I mean by that? Pray. Uh, and maybe fast alongside praying. Put some spiritual welly into it because we all need these life-changing personal encounters with the risen Christ. And, and then and then stay there. You know, like stay flat on your face. Wait. Wait until you've had a moment of revelation like this. Don't just get up and rush on. That's not what Saul does. It's not what he can do, actually after this happens don't get up <laughs> too quick stay in the place stay in the moment back in the day in my time uh, we used to have what were called tarrying meetings i was part of a pentecostal church and you waited for the holy spirit to fall upon you find your own encounter with christ don't live off anybody else's verse four the voice out of heaven, uh, which is now heard, um, asks uh, a question. Asks a question of Saul. And, you know, if we go through the Gospels, if you went through all four Gospels, you would find that in the Gospels, Jesus asked something like 157 different questions as you go through the Gospels. Question after question after question. And I think we're the kind of people who come to Jesus all the time. And we, we, what we want is answer after answer after answer. We want definitive statement after statement after statement. And Jesus does make statements in the Gospels, but he asks as many questions as he makes statements. And according to the writer of Hebrews, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. He hasn't changed. He still asks a lot of questions. So here's my question to you. What was the last thing that Jesus asked of you? That's part of encountering him. That's part of his call. That's part of his mission. What was the last thing that Jesus asked of you? What was the last question? that he asked you. I love it that here in this verse, verse 4, Jesus, who is asking the question, pushes right in, doesn't he, to Saul. He pushes right, he doesn't say, oh, 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 Saul. No, he says, Saul. And then again, Saul. And it's like he's landing. It's like he's pushing right in to Saul with real intimacy you can i wish it it's a verse i wish you could hear the tone uh, that, that it's, the voice is speaking in such a sense of let me win you let me woo you listen to me Saul, Saul. because revelation of jesus leads to intimacy with him and here he is being intimacy with saul so intimate that he actually changes uh, his name but that's for later. Verse 17. I think the rest of that is fairly straightforward. I'm not going to draw any points on that. There's just a couple of last things that I want to share uh, with you uh, in this uh, passage of encounter and calling. 
Verse 17, Ananias goes to the house. Now, I don't know whether (laughs) you've ever thought about this before. I think it's explicit in the text. We're looking here at Saul's encounter and Saul's calling, but there's another encounter here, isn't there? And there is another calling here, and that's the encounter of God to Ananias. And it's the calling of Ananias to go to the house of Saul. And this is not an easy call. This is not an easy vision to 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 see and to hear. I don't think I would have wanted to hear, uh, if I was Ananias, what it is that God has to say to him. Because what God says to Ananias is, I'll show you a house and I'll show you a person in the house. And it just so happens that that person is the greatest living persecutor of the church of Jesus Christ, sending women and men for trial up to Jerusalem, where they would either be released or executed. This is the guy who held coats <laughs> while the first Christian martyr is stoned to death, Stephen, uh, uh, in the book of Acts, chapter 8, I think, isn't it? Just before we read about this. This, this is a man who is hated and feared and despised by the Jews and the followers of the way, feared by him for their lives. And God says, I'm nice. I've got someone I want you to meet. But please note that Ananias goes. He is obedient to the call. And sometimes when we hear the voice of God, the call isn't always easy. But where God calls, he always equips. He always provides. He always goes ahead. He always hedges in behind and around. You are safe in the calling of God. And Ananias obeyed. Did what he was told. Have you ever, have you ever, this is where my brain works. Have you ever thought what would have happened if he hadn't? We might have had no Saul becomes Paul, becomes apostle, becomes church planter, becomes and all the rest of it. Amazing. But he obeys. And in verse 17, he goes to the house and places his hands on Saul and calls him brother. Isn't that lovely? That's wonderful. It's his point of first meeting. And here he is recognising a brother in Christ. Oh, we need to recognise Christ in one another and his calling on one another and that we belong to one another. Brother Saul. And he prays for him, lays hands on him. And he is both healed and filled with the Holy Spirit. So in verse 17, 18 and 19, we have clear evidence of encounter and call, but also that we're in it together. We need one another for prayer, for healing, for the miraculous release and filling of the Holy Spirit, because that's the only way that we can connect encounter call to mission and obedience is through prayer healing wholeness and the power of the holy spirit and so as i close this little uh, this little whip through uh, this this passage of uh, acts and the the era of the birth of the church I refer you to where Paul, a little bit later on in Acts chapter 26, and you'll find it in verse 19, 
describes this encounter of himself, this time where he's hauled up before the powers and the potentates, King Agrippa. You read the context for yourself. And I love it that in Acts 26 and verse 19, Paul just uses this little phrase as he explains what happened on the road to Damascus. He goes on from there to talk about his actions, but he uses this phrase. He says, I was not disobedient. I was not disobedient. The encounter, personal revelation, which leads to intimacy with Jesus, landed him a call. With the call goes provision, protection, equipping, and then the delivery of the mission. And Paul says, I was not disobedient. And the result of that through Paul was the planting of churches all the way from Jerusalem, according to the New Testament, to southern Illyricum, an area probably around modern day Albania. And the person who wrote about two thirds of our New Testament, the apostle of apostles. God has a call on your life and on my life. He has an encounter he wants to make with you. He has intimacy that he wants to press into with you through revelation. He has provision and equipping so that you can make the call and fulfil the mission, the unfolding story of God's work on the earth through the acts of the apostles and now the church. It was Mother Teresa being interviewed by a young uh, journalist who was secret, uh, who was uh, um, eager for the secret of her success, and uh, I, I may have said this to you before, Zio Church, but I, these words live with me. The reporter, in interviewing Mother Teresa, said, "What would you say is the single secret of your success in ministry and in life, and the amazing mission that you've accomplished under the call of God?" And this was Mother Teresa's answer. She said, young man, I'm not sure I would call it success. But the secret is that I never said no to Jesus. I never said no to Jesus. Let that be the result of our encounter with Christ. His intimacy with us. His call on our life leading to his equipping and let us be able to say as we fulfill his mission as far as possible I never said no to Jesus Jesus let that be the case and be glorified in us in your church and through us into your kingdom and across the world we ask this in Jesus name God bless you, Zio Church. I look forward so much to being with you in person as soon as we can. Bless you.